It is great to see you all. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Prayer tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and prayer Saturday night at 7 o'clock. And uh, we're having corporate prayer and, and uh, just praying concerning revival. We're praying concerning the church, praying for families of the church. We're praying for the leadership of our nation. Uh, God's leading us in many different areas. We're praying a lot in the Spirit because when you don't know what to pray for, as you ought to pray. The Holy Spirit helps you to pray. And so uh, we've been praying uh, those things. Uh, if you haven't already, mark your calendar. Uh, March 28th, Mark Hankins, Mark and Trina Hankins will be with us. And uh, that is always a tremendous time uh, of teaching and the Word and of the Spirit of God. And so uh, you want to mark your calendar, be here for that. And I uh, just want to give you an opportunity, if you weren't here, uh, you weren't watching online this morning uh, and weren't prepared or you were here and weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings to give you an opportunity to give. All those numbers of ways to give, as Zane said this morning, there's a way to give for every generation. Uh, you're my generation, you can mail it in and um, <laughs> praise the Lord, you can go on to text if you're of this generation, if you're... Uh, um, Gen X, then you can uh, go on to the website and uh, check giving and so a number of ways. We appreciate uh, all that you do in giving. As we were saying this morning, uh, you know, just uh, reminiscing a little bit, it's our 29th anniversary and really all the things that we were talking about that have been accomplished and uh, what God has done, he's done not only uh, with you, but he's done uh Providing for you and your faithfulness to give has allowed us to do so many of the things and missionaries into all the world, um, build and pay for uh, the buildings that we minister in and uh, all the things that we do in ministering around uh, the community and into the world. We couldn't do it without uh, your generosity, without your faithfulness. And so we're so thankful for your faithfulness in giving. You all are generous people and we are believing God always with you, that our God, my God, supplies all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. And you know, I started my journey in understanding that, and it was just a daily confession. And that was one of those confessions that I needed because I was living paycheck to paycheck. And you know, when I first moved here, um, I lived above uh, the daily bread. I don't know if you even know, if you go down Grand Avenue, you have the daily bread. You start to move down towards, I don't even know what's there now. Um, uh, but there's a doorway. It's a mysterious doorway. If you go in that doorway and go upstairs, I don't know if it's still the same, but there used to be apartments up there. And so I lived in a one-room apartment. My bed was over here. There was a dresser over here. There was a little makeshift closet here and a little kitchenette and a window out to the roof next to us. And my bathroom was down the hall. And I was just making it from rent to rent. And God began to speak to me about giving and that his word was true. I knew it about tithing, but I'd heard some things like tithing isn't for now. It's, it's Old Testament. And I started to believe that and thought, you know what? That way, I, you know, uh, I can hang on to what I have and, and uh, uh, try to make it. But I wasn't making it. And I was crying out to God. And I started confessing this. My God supplies all of my need. And he started to minister to me about involving myself in giving and receiving. And from the time that I began to bring my tithes and my offerings, I've gone from a one-room apartment with the bathroom down the hall to the blessings of God being poured out on our life. It's just truth of God's word. And so, um, praise the Lord, and he'll continue to bless you. It's just great when you feel like, you know what, I don't know if this is working. Just get in there to Philippians chapter 
uh, 4 and just look at that and say, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. Not according to what it looks like, not according to the economy of the day, but according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. When you, when you add that by Christ Jesus on it, you've just, it's just changed everything because Jesus purchased everything. He became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. And that doesn't just mean financially. That means rich in everything. Amen. He gave everything that we might prosper in every way. So uh, praise the Lord. If, uh, I don't know. If ushers, did you already do your thing? They, people raised their hand already. If you need a tax receipt for giving, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. Praise the Lord. And we're all done. There's receptacles out there as you go out, right there, out there, over there. Fasten your seatbelt. We're ready to take off. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the fifth chapter. A couple of weeks ago, we began to talk about, and I want to thank uh, uh, Jonathan for ministering last Sunday night. As we were talking about redemption, I told him a couple of weeks ago, I knew that we were going to be gone, and uh, uh, we were teaching actually in Nepal, and um, so I asked him to teach on redemption, and, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, he did a great job on that, and uh, I appreciate him doing that. And uh, we're going to pick up where we started uh, a couple of weeks ago, talking about righteousness. And knowing our righteousness is incredibly important. It amazes me throughout just time, and certainly I'm not talking about you, I'm even talking about myself, that when the enemy starts to attack or we just get caught in day-to-day life. You know, as I was talking about this morning, talking about building ourselves up on, in the inward man, being strengthened and becoming stronger in our spirit than we are emotionally, than uh, the draw of the temptation of our flesh, that so we build our, our spirit man. You know, we were just talking about uh, second service, especially, you know, Tom Brady, and, and I, I just heard uh, somebody was telling me they read an article that he has no off-season, that he doesn't change his diet, he eats exactly the same, he doesn't, you know, off-season, eat sugar, gain a little bit of weight, get off the weights and the training. Uh, so here we have the greatest quarterback, uh, arguably, I guess, the greatest quarterback in the NFL ever, and uh, he's, he's getting up there in years, I mean for a quarterback, yet he just won the Super Bowl. He's playing at the top of his game. And how does he do that? Well, he decided, you know what, I have to stay in shape because if I allow myself to get out of shape, it'll be much harder to get back in shape. Now, I'm looking out. I see a few people that are at least as old as me. How many of you found out that uh, as you get through life, it's a little bit harder to get back in shape once you get out of shape? I mean, there was a day where, you know, you could, you could go a while, but Man, you get out of shape right away. And so he understood that the farther I go and the more that I've achieved, I don't want to get out of shape because it'll be harder for me to get in shape. And so really as believers, sometimes, you know, we get rolling and God's doing great and then we just kind of lay lay back and coast and we get out of shape and then we wonder, why is it hard for me to get back into this place where I understand? And righteousness is like that a lot. We we get to this place of understanding we're born again, we're right with God, but then we start just getting lax about that. We think we know righteousness, but if we're not living in the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us, then we're living far short of everything that God provided for us. And again, it goes part and parcel with what we're talking about in the morning, because the only way that you can really understand and live in righteousness and enjoy living in the righteousness of God is to live out of your spirit, man, because there will always be questions and there will always be that attack of the enemy when things go on and when things get tough and the enemy has a strategy against you is to say, what did I do wrong? 
As we said a couple of weeks ago, you start running through the whole list of sin that you've done since you were a baby and repenting. Even though that you have repented <laughs> numerous times, you've gone through that list because every time times get tough, you go through that list and repent again and again and again and again. But when Jesus died, he paid for your sin once and for all, and we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says he takes our sin, listen to me, takes our sin, and he casts it as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that when he forgives us, he forgets, he remembers it no more. It's a trick of the enemy to come against your life and say, this is coming because you messed up. And certainly, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You need to examine your heart as you're going through as if you've opened the door for something, but it's very easy to close. But the enemy tries to get us to rehearse as if we prayed, God forgave us, things got better, but after he forgave us, all that old sin accumulated again, so now something bad can happen again. And so we ask for forgiveness, and we get on track, and then it accumulates, even though we haven't done that sin again. And so we, we, we get into a place where if we're not careful, we're more sin conscious than we are righteousness conscious. And it's not just about our, our old sin. It's really just about even the place where we walk, and we're trying so hard to quit doing what we know is wrong. And when you have a sin consciousness, whether it's of your old sin or whether it's I'm trying to get done with this sin, I'm trying to quit, you know, I'll just use smoking for an example. There's, it could be worry. It could be something that nobody knows about. But you know, God's calling me to quit this. But if you just keep thinking, I got to stop smoking, I got to stop smoking, and then you have another cigarette and you feel bad and you repent, and then I got to stop smoking, you will probably never stop smoking. But if you get busy understanding that this is not who I am, this is not what I want to do. I want to focus on who I am in Christ and where I want to go and that I don't really want to struggle with this anymore. And so I begin to change my focus on him and where I'm going. Pretty soon you'll find out that this is easy to set aside because I'm moving somewhere. But as long as we're totally focused on what we have to quit, what we're not doing right, what we've done wrong in the past, the enemy keeps us circling in places that God doesn't really want us to go. And so understanding righteousness is incredibly powerful to each and every believer. To understand the, the righteousness of God and the, the progression of righteousness and what it produces in our life so that we can live and walk in righteousness. That we can know that we're sons and daughters of God beyond a shadow of a doubt every single day of our life. That we know that God loves us, that God cares about us, that God's not looking to beat us down. God is always looking to lift us up. God is not looking to curse us. God is looking to bless us. That he's a good, good father. We sing that, and then all of a sudden trouble comes, and we're, not, we're wondering whether or not he's that good. Or we're wondering whether or not we're that bad. Come on. And before you ever knew God, and you were really bad, which some of you were really bad, I know your testimony. <laughs> Man, don't we thank God for Jesus? Aren't, don't, aren't we thankful for the blood? We're all thankful for the blood. Glory to God. But listen, when you were, that, when you were at your worst, the Bible says Jesus, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus when you were at your worst. He loved you that much to send Jesus to the cross to break the power of br what brought you in slavery to your very worst. 
And now that you're with God, walking with God, what makes you think that he's going to stop all that and say, you know what? I revoked that. You were really bad. You were the worst of the worst, and I loved you and sent Jesus. But now that you're my child, I'm not sure I love you that much. Come on, I'm saying it in ways that you get a smile on your face, but the devil unconsciously gets us to thinking, well, maybe I'm not measuring up. Listen, it's not about us measuring up. It's about us understanding the righteousness that came to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we get nervous, religiously we get nervous, because if you tell people they're right with God, they'll, they'll take it for granted and they'll go off and do stuff. But that, see, that's not an understanding of righteousness. An understanding of righteousness is an understanding of this relationship that I have with God, and I have no reason or desire to do anything that would mess that relationship up. It doesn't mean that we won't do stupid stuff. You know, I've used this before, but, uh, you know, Tasha and I are about 34 and a half years into this marriage thing. We're still learning. It's an ever-learning process. <laughs> Glory to God. And she's had to put up with me for this long, and I have learned to live with perfection. <laughs> and uh, it's just, <laughs> it's, an, it's an awesome thing. But I, I love her so much, I don't want to do anything to ever break that relationship to come between that and so there's certain things that i know just are wrong you just don't do or right i mean I, and i'm just talking about stuff you don't do it'll break a relationship you don't step outside of the marriage and expect everything's gonna be good and all that but then there's things that i'm learning i'm still learning things that i do that disrupt that relationship and when i do that you know, there's a little tussle on the inside, but when I think about it, I'm like, I don't want this to disrupt my relationship. It means too much to me. And we walk in that way restored. I don't just go do things because, ah, it doesn't matter. No, the relationship matters to me. When we get righteousness conscious, we begin to look and say, this relationship means so much to me that I don't want to do anything to mess that relationship up. When I come to that and the relationship is messed up and I know, even though I want to say it's not my fault, it's her fault, I didn't mean to do it, and so why are you upset? I have to come to that place if I'm going to reconcile to say, you know what, you're right, I did that. Intentional or not, I did that. I'm sorry. And the moment that I recognize that and she forgives me, guess what, we're back on track. And so many times we understand that in a natural relationship, but then God is so much higher. God is so much quicker to forgive us. God is so much more compassionate so God is so much more loving and merciful and kind. We're learning mercy and kindness from him. So he has so much more. So we get to this place where we start to wander off and we start to feel condemned and we start to feel judged. And God says, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that sense or that feeling of condemnation. I don't want that sense or feeling of judgment to be hovering over your head. I want you to be absolutely free indeed. Sometimes we say, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we think, well, that means I'm free from that habit, I'm free from that. But really, if you have guilt and condemnation hovering over your head, and even if it's not evident, it's working on the inside of you, you'll never be free from that thing because guilt and condemnation keeps working on you. But when you understand I'm free from the guilt and the condemnation, I'm free from the feeling of judgment from that, not because... I'm so great and I got away with something, but because God is so wonderful and loving that he bore the judgment of my sin upon himself. 
See, I didn't get, I didn't get off. Nobody got off scot-free. It was paid for. You and I just didn't have to pay for it. Amen. So Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I encourage you just to take some time. If, if you say, you know what, I just, I'm looking for something to meditate on this week uh, to get into Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. And uh, that sounds like a lot, but throughout the week, you could just go over it and over it and ask God to, to really bring it to life to you because it will be uh, incredibly liberating. No matter where you are, it'll cause you to grow in life. And so he's talking about how sin entered the world. We're going to jump in in verse 15. It says, and we're going to read quite a bit here today. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more, everybody say much more, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulting in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now, if you're taking notes or you're highlighting that, highlight that uh, uh, through sin came judgment and condemnation. Through sin came judgment and condemnation. It's very important to understand where our feeling of judgment and condemnation is coming from. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned or ruled over us through the one, much more, but I say much more, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. There again, you can highlight that again. Through one man's sin, or one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Everybody say righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, there's a mouthful, but a couple of things we want to understand. He talks a lot about Jesus' obedience resulting in justification. Well, really, you could read this. He just keeps saying it resulted in righteousness. It resulted in righteousness. It resulted in righteousness. Because that word justification means, it's a legal term, says meaning that you are justified. In other words, you are restored to things being right. You are restored to righteousness. So he said sin brought an offense that brought judgment and condemnation, but the obedience brought justification resulting in right standing with God. And we understand right standing with God, and we receive that understanding that I am right with God. Through the blood of Jesus, I am in a right relationship with God. It abounds, and grace is available to live out that life. But when we sin, the enemy floods in with judgment and condemnation. And we begin to understand that, and we realize that when I'm quick 
to repent. When I'm quick to ask for forgiveness and, and confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, which means if I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, I'm restored to righteousness. What do you avoid? You avoid running into people and feeling judged by them and feeling under condemnation because you know what you've done, but they don't. But you're still feeling judged, and to keep it away from you, you're like, you can't judge me. People quit judging me. The church is judging me. And people are like, we don't even know what you're talking about. Because we fail to realize it's easy to put it off on people, but sin with itself brings condemnation and judgment. Sin brings that. People don't bring that. Sin brings that. When we carry that around with us, it's detrimental. When we carry that around with us, that condemnation, that feeling of judgment, it results in shame. And shame is the source of every self-destructive behavior. You've heard that. Pastor Mark Hankins will probably say it again on the 28th. he He brings that message a lot about righteousness. But we end up in that place, and so when we understand, listen, when I get to that feeling of guilt, and when I get to that cycle of feeling like I'm not good enough, and I'll never measure up, and God's mad at me because I know that I've messed up, it's not people, it's not God, it's what sin is trying to work in you to bring death and destruction and a heaviness upon your life. And that's why we don't want to give place to the flesh, we don't want to live in that place And feel like we're always looking over our shoulder or feel like everybody's looking at and examining our life. And it just feels like that. And people are going on with life. The funny thing is, is the moment you realize that nobody was looking at your life, then you're offended on the other side because nobody cares. (laughs) It's just a strategy of the enemy. If people are looking at you, are like, why? Quit judging me. Quit looking at my life. And then everybody's like, I wasn't even looking at your life. Well, what's wrong? You don't even care about me? See, the enemy always gets you in a vicious cycle. Either people care too much or they don't care at all. But God wants to work something that you know who you are and you know whose you are. And you walk every day according to that relationship with him and you rely upon and you're governed by that relationship. Romans, the sixth chapter. Again, the 15th verse. He's just told us because of our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that sin should no longer have dominion over us because we're not under the law. We're not under the condemnation of the law. We're not under the seeing the inability to carry out the law in our own flesh, but now we see the grace of God and the righteousness that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he goes on to say this right after he says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Verse 14, 15, excuse me. Um, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. The Roman church is a funny church to me. Paul has to keep, they keep asking this question. Awesome, awesome. So what you're saying, Paul, is where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So that means we should probably sin if we want to experience grace. And God says, hey, 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 no, that's not what I'm saying at all. If we died with him to sin, why would we live any longer in it? So then he gets all the way around with this explanation of why when sin abounds and grace much more abounds, we don't sin so we can see grace abound. 
We recognize that where sin was, grace abounded to pull us out of it. So we're no longer under the law, but we're under this great grace that we live in. And then he has to come back to that same question. So we get to sin because we're not under the law? He's like, oh, yeah. When are you all going to get it? And 2,000 years later, we still don't get it. <laughs> come on. A decade ago, a minister was trying to get people free from the law, and he taught on grace. And the church went wild. The church in America. We can drink. We can do whatever we want because we're under grace. And we don't have to work, and we don't have to go to church, and we don't have to do anything because we're under grace. And it got wonky. I mean, people started saying it's sloppy grace. They were trying to describe it because grace isn't what gets you to where you can do whatever you want and not care. Grace is what empowers you to overcome sin. Grace is what comes when you understand that I'm in right relationship with God. And in that right relationship, there is something. There's an influence and there's a favor and there's an ability to go beyond what I could do. Where I'm tempted, where I falter, where I kept falling prey to sin. Now in righteousness with God, I overcome that thing. Because I'm not trying to handle it on my own. Every time I try to handle it on my own, it's just like the law. Again, I look at it and I see I cannot do it. And Jesus said, you got to understand this, that I'm the vine and you're the branches. And all the good things to produce fruit and overcome sin, you can do none of it without me. And we try. <laughs> That's all right. This is my cheering section over here. Praise the Lord. You You'd think they're going to make a lot of money tomorrow uh, by being my cheering section, but no, they're just excited about what God is doing. Listen, they understand this. When you get set free by the grace of God, you can't help but shout just a little bit. Amen. These are, I said it a couple Sunday nights ago, I was talking about something about evangelism. I pointed this way and they're all like, woo, we're your evangelists. Here we are. Praise the Lord. And so we just begin to understand that when we walk with him every single day, we can't do anything without him. And so righteousness avails to us that understanding that wherever he is, we are. And wherever we are, he is. He'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And when you're making mistakes, he doesn't check out. He doesn't say, you know what? Uh, I ain't going. Sorry, I'm not going with you. If you're going there, I'm not going with you. I mean, if we were more aware of that, we wouldn't take him some of the places that we take him. <laughs> you know, when you left your prayer closet this morning, he didn't stay there. Come on, this is going to be a revelation for some of you to realize, oh, my prayer closet is important, but when I leave there, everything shouldn't just change. Like, oh yeah, I need to get back to my prayer closet at noon because that's where Jesus is. No, Jesus is with you by the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, everywhere I go. That's why when you go into somewhere where there's darkness, you're like, I'm not alone in here. Praise the Lord. And somebody's fixing to be changed in this darkness because Jesus is with me and bringing light. It's where our, par our power resides. Amen. So anyway, I, I digress. He's always telling them, what should we say then? What's the question here? They're asking, shall we sin? Can we go ahead and sin? I mean, if God's that good, why don't we just sin? He's like, come on. Figure it out. Come on, man. He says, what then shall we say? Because we are not under the law, under grace? He said, certainly not. Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading 
to righteousness. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, everybody say free from sin. sin. Say it again, free free from sin. You became a slave of righteousness. Now, I'm just going to take a moment here. There's something about the disciples that we look at that, that I, I, I believe in studying it. It's extremely powerful that they understood. And we as Americans, because of our freedom and our liberty, and don't get me wrong, I love our freedom and our liberty, we have a dif- difficult time understanding what Paul is using in these, these words, slaves. We're not a slave of nobody, man. We're free. But he's talking about something that totally governs our life. So when you read what the apostles, when they, whenever they wrote an epistle, the first thing they said in their greeting was they didn't say, we're writing to you, an apostle, a great one of God. They wrote, I'm Paul, I'm Peter, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He said, I have chosen to enter into a relationship in which I've yielded my will over to his will. And that now he is the master of my life and I live with him. They said, the first thing that I understand that brings joy to my life is I'm a bond servant of his first. And then they say, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We like to leave the bond servant out because we're so free and just say, I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. I'm really something. But what makes you and I really something is being a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That we realize he's our Lord and our master. And he tries to bring that out to understand and help us to understand how that governs our life in such a powerful way. He says, he says that, uh, where were we? And having been set free from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Listen, when we were sinning, we did it real good. Come on, everybody's quiet. Well, I didn't do it that good. Um, <laughs> come on, when, when, it, when, when the call went out, let's go, let's go, let's go sin, let's go hang out, let's go indulge in our flesh. It was like, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, count me in, and it wasn't a big deal. Let's go serve God. Well, I got a lot of things to do right now. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, when sin was running, you were in. Your flesh was like, I'm in. He said, but now if you understood righteousness, you'd say, I'm in. We're getting together, I'm in. God's doing something, I'm in. I don't want to miss out, I'm in. Instead of like, no, I got some things to do. Listen, when you were uh, uh, living and sin was your, your slave master, and you, you had something to do. It might have been school, and you had a final coming up. And friends called and said, we're going out tonight. You're like, <laughs> study, party, study, party, study, party, party! <laughs> Why? Because you were a slave of it. Now, I know some of you were bookworms, and you stayed with the test. And God bless you. Thank you for doing that. Set an example for all the rest of us. But most of us went, man, if I got to do the hard thing or we go have a good time, I'll figure that out later. 
right? And it usually costs us a lot of extra money. But that's what he's, in a way, that's what he's saying. He's saying when sin called and you were a slave of it, you were there. And he said, so just get it. Now you're a slave of righteousness. When God calls, when the Spirit of God calls, when God's doing something, when the body's getting together, when things are going on, we don't go like, yeah, nah. We say, I'm in. I'm in. Because I'm walking in that place. Glory to God. And I'm moving towards holiness. Moving towards holiness. Verse 20, he says, For when you were, were a slave of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in which the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So listen, when you, when you all of a sudden come to God, you look and go, oh my God, I can't even believe I did that stuff. Right? When you get to that point, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, you, start, you just start thinking about the old man and you're like, I'm glad I'm not him anymore. Right? He wasn't that popular. Um, Verse 22, it says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Come on, there's a why. There's an end game to living in righteousness. The end game to sin is death. The end game to... Righteousness is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, it's an amazing thing righteousness is. We obtain that righteousness not of ourself, but it is that, that gift of God, that gift of righteousness. That Jesus paid that price. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so we were going through these Six things that we get when we understand, we have an understanding of righteousness. Number one is living in the, um, and I can't even read my own writing, living in the divine favor and acceptance, knowing we're approved by God. When you understand righteousness, you live in an understanding of grace, of favor, and that you are accepted in the beloved. Number two, if we understand righteousness, it causes us to know who we are in Christ who we are in Christ. Praise the Lord. If you understand righteousness, you understand that I'm a child of God. I'm a son and a daughter. I'm not just a son and a daughter, but I'm an heir. I'm an heir of God, not a sub-heir of Jesus, but I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ when you understand that he's made you righteous. All right, number three, understanding righteousness will give us a different vantage point on life. Understanding that you are the righteousness of God gives you a different vantage point on life. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. You ever heard you can't see the forest for the trees? Many Christians are living in much a similar state that they're not able to see what they're dealing with because they're down every day living in a place without an understanding that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And we talked about this just a little bit. He's not talking about disobedient sons. He's talking about the offspring of Adam's disobedience, as he did in Romans chapter uh, 5. 
But it says we're, we're living, our vantage point before Jesus Christ is living every day, just getting through every day, following the course of this world, getting up, going, eating breakfast, going to work, or if you don't eat breakfast, getting some coffee, going to work, putting in the grind every day, coming home, eating, maybe playing softball, doing some recreational activity, uh, wearing yourself out, going to bed, waking up, and just doing it every day. Every now and then we get a vacation. Hopefully when we're about 65, we get to retire and go somewhere warm. And we're just going according to the flow of the world. But he said, listen, we no longer have to go according to the flow of this world. That's all dictated by the prince of the power of the air. What's ruling over the hearts of men dictated to this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're always living in competition, trying to get what our flesh wants and get to the point where, uh, you know, whatever we see, we can have what we want and it becomes idolatry to us. And we're living according to the course of this world. And he says, it's wrong. That's how you get governed because of Adam's disobedience. Verse 3 tells us, among whom, we, among, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others might highlight that and underline that the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind see we were all that way where we were governed by our soul and by our flesh we were talking about that this morning he's saying there's a new place where you're governed by your spirit when you're governed by your soul and by your flesh you're being governed by the course of this world and the devil is in charge of those fads those flows and the way the world is going now, verse 4, but God. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. Everybody just repeat after them. But God. <laughs> I love it. This is interactive church. You all need to get on board. Uh, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Amplified says, because of and in order to satisfy his great love with which he loved us. If you begin to break it down, when the Bible says that he was rich in mercy, it talks about that word just breaks it down and says that God was so wealthy with mercy. Man, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God is so full of mercy. He is rich. He is wealthy. I mean, he's got enough mercy to hand out. He's so rich in mercy. He didn't run out of mercy. He's so full of mercy that his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. He's so rich in mercy because of, and the Amplified says, in order to satisfy his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Listen, when you know you're righteous, your vantage point changes. You're looking at the world and you're looking at your situations from the right hand of majesty on high. Thank you for your enthusiasm. All right, let's go back just a little bit to chapter one. Y'all doing all right? Paul is praying that there would be a revelation of this understanding of righteousness and who we are in Christ. In the middle of that prayer, he's talking about wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light or revelation to know the hope of our calling. And part of what that revelation or that flooding our hearts with light is part of this. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
towards us who believe. Everybody say, towards us who believe. Say, towards us who believe. Come on, this great power was released towards the believer. He's about to describe the power. He says, uh, to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he seated him at his own right hand in heavenly, place, in heavenly places. So this is where he just said that we are seated with him in heavenly places. He raised us up and seated us together with him in heavenly places. Where is that? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. Praise the Lord. So how many of you think there's a different vantage point if there's something that is on your head or something that is under your feet? Come on. Praise the Lord. If Jonathan was to say, you know, I could take this piano and I could put it on your head, how long do you think that you could hold that thing over your head? I would say, well, I don't know. Let's see. But the fact that he put it on my head and just the gravitational pull, after a while, I would get a little bit tired of holding that piano. Thank God it's not a grand piano. It would never happen. It would crush me. But you know, you could walk around and just go, I got this thing on my head and I'm holding it up and it's getting weighty and I'm getting tired and I'm getting overwhelmed by it. Or he could say, what do you think it would be like if I put that on the floor and you stood on it? The vantage point and the work on my behalf would be far different. And because it's under my feet, I could move on it to and fro. I could stomp on it. I could tap my toe on it and see if I could play it with my toes. There's a number of things I could do because it's under my feet. But when it's over my head and it's bearing down on me, all I can do is fight against it from crushing me. And so often we live under this vantage point that sin is around us and sin is over us and sin is coming down on us. And we're living under a dark cloud, but the vantage point of righteousness is from God's own right hand. It's a place of authority over principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. And everything that the enemy brings is under your feet. It's not hovering over your head. It's not there to crush you. And when you get the idea that maybe I'm not right with God, maybe I've sinned too much, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not as good as the preacher over there, I'm not as good as that Christian over there, and you start comparing yourself by yourself, it's not wise because the enemy will get into it. And your position and your vantage point will be, I'm lower and I'm under things and I can't handle it as opposed to I'm in Christ Jesus and it's under his feet, which means it's under my feet. And now I see it from a whole different position. Come on. Renewing who we are in Christ helps us with every strategy that the enemy tries to set against us. The moment we realize he has a strategy against us, we realize and recognize I have authority over that. I have authority over that. See, that understanding of everything that's under his feet. You know, when Joshua came upon the enemies uh, against Israel and the sun stood still and he won that great battle, all the kings, as he began to win that battle, all the kings went into the cave. And they found him in the cave and Joshua went over to that cave. And to capture all those kings, it says he put all of those kings on the ground and he put his feet on the necks of the king 
Why? Because in the day they understood that. When you, it was a public display that we are victors and that they are under authority, our authority. Now listen, when you got your boot on the foot of someone's neck, come on, things that happen, you begin to render them helpless. Amen. We're not talking about that with people. But God says, that's how the enemy should look to you. We used to sing songs like that. We don't sing that much anymore. He's under our feet. We just sing choruses, stomp around at the beginning of service. He's under, he's under our feet. You know, Tasha laughs because she's like, I hate those kind of songs. But, uh, <laughs> but it was just to give the body of an awareness of where Jesus was because for so, or, or where the enemy was because for so long everybody thought we're just under this, we're just getting by, we're just trying to make it till we die and go to heaven. And there was a revelation. No, you don't have to put up with the devil until you die and go to heaven. He's under your feet. That you in Christ are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named. That he's given you the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus. See, when you understand your vantage point and the enemy's under your feet and he tries to mess with you, you say, ah, in the name of Jesus. Come on, in the name of Jesus, that name that is above every name. And I'm in him, far above you. You're under his feet. He's already conquered you. He's already disarmed you. He's already made an open display of you. Jesus already did it. And he said, I've lifted you up by my grace and by my mercy and salvation, and I put you in me right there at the right hand of God. You're in a place of authority, and you begin to look at things differently. Come on, anybody who owns a company, you know you look at things differently when you're in authority. When you were the worker, you're just grinding and figuring out what to do and complaining about the boss. When you're the boss, you're figuring out how you got to get things done. And you see it different. Praise the Lord. It's just different. And so it gives us a different vantage point. All right, number four. When we understand righteousness, it changes your prayer life. To understand righteousness totally changes your prayer life. Turn over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Paul is making a, a number of statements here about praying for one another, about uh, praising God in whatever your situations, and he comes to praying for one another, sins being forgiven, bodies being he healed. Verse 16, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen to this. You can highlight this, underline this. The, the, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or righteous woman avails much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. One translation says, makes much power available, dynamic in its working. Come on. Come on, when you know that you're the righteousness of God, your prayers are powerful. When our prayers are a hope so, think so, maybe so, I don't know if I'm worthy or not worthy, but God, if you could do anything. Man, it gets to be hard. 
But when we come and say, God, I know you can do everything. And I'm not here coming in as an unworthy worm. I'm approaching the throne of grace as a son and a daughter of God. And I'm here to obtain mercy for things that I've messed up, but I'm here to find grace to help in time of need. And I'm here to cooperate with heaven and with you to get things done. So when we begin to pray, when we begin to pray for someone and they're healing and they've, they've come and they've confessed their faults and we begin to say, all right, here we're calling upon you. And that's what he's talking about right there. He says, when you know that you're right with God and somebody who's been out of touch with God and they come and say, I'm sorry that you have this place where you pray and power becomes available, power to heal the sick, power to bring deliverance to the captive, power to bring recovery of sight to the blind. That's why Jesus said these signs will follow them that believe. Believe what? Just believe that Jesus is the Savior and I'm going to heaven? No, that believe what everything that Jesus did to make you righteous. And when you know that now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, when I pray, things happen. Not because of who I am, but because of who I am in Christ. And the enemy will come against that because we're, 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 we're looking pretty much instantly to things happening. As we begin to realize and learn that God's doing things, and as we pray, God is at work doing things, and we're looking for results. See, sometimes we get to this point of just thinking, you know what? If people don't see an instant result, maybe they don't have faith. Maybe things aren't going on. Maybe, maybe God doesn't like them. Maybe they did something wrong, so God's not responding. But God is always at work. And although we've gotten to a point where we need this, God, we need this right now, you know, God is still at work. And we know that when we pray, God starts to move. Power is made available. Things are happening. And we stay with that. We begin to see results, whether it's instantly or over a period of time. We don't abandon what we are. We know that God is always with us, that God is working on our behalf. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of God. If he would work on our behalf when we were dead in trespasses and sins, how much will he work on our behalf right now? Today, as sons and daughters. So why doesn't he work on my behalf? If he's God, why doesn't he just do it? Because you don't know that he'll do it. You don't know who you are. He says you still have to pray. Your prayers make power available, not God just waving a magic wand. He said when you know you're in interaction with somebody who's suffering in their body, and they come and they say, listen, I need to tell you, I believe I've, I've left a door open, and here's my life, and I'm confiding in you. Listen, church, there's power available, and I'm going to get on a tangent. We're going to close here in just a moment. And when people come to tell you what's going on in their life, listen to them and be compassionate. Some people are going to share some things with you at times. They're looking for help. They're going to share things that will knock you on your heels and go, my God, have mercy. But don't, don't look like that. Don't look like, you know, you just, you're a deer in headlights and somebody's about to shoot you. <laughs> don't be overwhelmed with shock so they're like, sorry, sorry to shock you. I'll go talk to somebody else. Understand that if they've come to you as somebody that they respect, that you listen and they confess their faults and you say, this is awesome. Because we're going to pray right now that you're washed of all that. As you're washed of all that, we're going to pray, and power is going to come available, and you're going to receive your healing. And you're my understanding of that righteousness releases power, right? And we're, we're, we're helping them with the understanding of, like, I, I've been in unrighteousness, and I know it's affecting even my physical body. I want to confess that, and we're like, all right, we're right here. We're not here to air dirty laundry. We're not here to hear it and then call the whole church and say, you know what, I just talked to somebody and pray for them. And let me tell you what, we're going to pray for them. 
No, it's between you and them, and you pray, and then let them come forth with the testimony of how they came and they gave it to God, and someone prayed, and Jesus met them right there and healed them. Come on, it's powerful. All right, John 15, and we're going to close. Y'all doing all right? I believe this is powerful for us. Glory to God. John, the 15th chapter. Starting in the 7th verse. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you'll be my disciples. He says right here, if you're, we're abiding together. If you look at all that, he's talking about living with him. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're connected. We're engrafted together. He's endeavoring to produce fruit in us and all those things. So he's talking about righteousness. He's talking about the right relationship, not us being the vine and him the branch. That's not right relationship. God, just work on my behalf. Uh, no, he's the vine. We're the branches. And we understand that we abide in him and his words the life-giving word abides in us, then we understand it changes our prayer life. Because we're not just asking for what we want. We're asking according to the word and the life that's flowing on the inside of us. And there's confidence in that righteousness and that relationship and that understanding of his word. And when we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us because of that relationship, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. Say, well, I've prayed, and I haven't got it, and I pray sometimes, and I don't know if God's going to answer, and that's okay. We've all been there. But I'm telling you, if we grow in our understanding of righteousness, and we pursue that greater understanding of righteousness, your prayer life will change. Because as you grow closer to God, you know he wants to perform his word in your life. He wants to perform his word through your life to benefit others. He wants with us to have an abundant life. God wants to walk with us every single day and be a part of what we're doing every single day. He doesn't want us to leave him at home in the prayer closet. He says, good, we've prayed. We've seen things. I've showed you some things about today and tomorrow. I've brought you some revelation. And we're like, "Woo! thanks for showing me, God. Lock up the prayer closet. Be back when I finish and tell you what I did. God says, why did you lock me in the prayer closet? We run back, open the door. Oh, God, it's not working. It's not working. Help me. I know you showed it to me. I know I saw it in prayer, God. Help me. Why is it not working? It's like, well, you're not doing something. All right, I'll give her another try. We run off by ourselves. He says, why do you keep locking me in the prayer closet? We're 23 and a half hours out of every day and not understand what's going wrong. Come on. He said, come into... The prayer closet where we're intimate, we're spending time, just us. And then let's come out of that place, the things I've shown you, the things I've spoken to you, and let's walk throughout the day. And then learn from me how to do what I talked to you about in the prayer closet. When you come and you go like, this doesn't look like what I saw in the prayer closet. Got to run back to the prayer closet. No, we stop right there and say, I know you're with me. What about this? But this doesn't look like what I saw in the prayer closet. And God can say, I know it doesn't look like that because we're fixing to change the way this looks. And it'll take some time before we start to understand 
because he's with us wherever we go. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you.